Thanks for tuning in to listen to Nature's True Crime, tales of the more unknown natural disasters, how they happened, and what impacts they had on the areas affected. My name is Beanie. And I'm Lucky. All right, let's jump on in. Almost said my real name. (laughs) (laughs) So close. Okay. So this story is about the Boston's Great Molasses Flood of 1919. Have you ever heard of it? No. (laughs) So the date is January 15th, 1919. Now, I want you to imagine that you're home and it's around noon and you're doing 1919 things. As one does. 1919. When I was thinking of this, I was like, I don't even know what people in 1919 even did. So I literally wrote playing jacks, drinking tea, or watering your lawn. Is that not not things you did this afternoon? I did not drink tea this afternoon, no. Good to know. (laughs) So you're doing these 1919 things, and then you look up and see a giant wave of molasses goo hurtling at you at 35 miles per hour. How big are we talking about? Um, it is, let me just skip all the other information. <laughs> You're going to have to wait because it's, oh, here it is. 25 feet. Oh, God. 25 foot wave of just molasses goo coming at you. Ooh. Yeah. No, thank you. No. So this is a, what happened in the North End neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. The Purity Distilling Company facility had sold out in 1917 to United States Industrial Alcohol. The company used the Harborside Commercial Street Tank to offload molasses from ships. They did this to store for later transfer by pipeline to the Purity ethanol plant. At the time, industrial alcohol was made from fermented molasses, and it was used to make munitions and other weaponry for World War One, which I thought was pretty cool yeah this tank that we're going to talk about stood 50 feet tall and was about 90 feet in diameter and the tank contained 2 million gallons of molasses <laughs> which equals to about 13,000 or 1300 tons that's actually kind of impressive yeah until you know you hear about what happened to it <laughs> so the air on january 15th was about 40 degrees fahrenheit which was said to have been considerably higher than in previous days which when i read that i was like well, of course well, of course like, but it never said what any of the previous days was in anything that i read i was really curious because that's this to me. Anyway, so on January 14th, 1919, a ship from Puerto Rico had delivered a fresh load of warmed molasses, and apparently it was warmed because it helped the molasses transfer into the tank. So it said that because of the change in temperature between the warm molasses versus the cool molasses in the tank, it caused pressure to build, which resulted in the tank exploding at about 12.30 p.m. with no warning to nearby people. The collapse caused a 25-foot molasses wave to hurtle at a speed of 35 miles per hour through the streets. Which, this isn't supposed to be funny because people died, but I just keep picturing just this wave of, like, brown goo <laughs> going through the streets. And I can't help but to think of uh, Muck in, like, Pokemon and just think <gasps> of him, like, going around and swallowing people. Congrats, we have just been copyright strikes. Strike. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that, we'll exactly. just that out. Um, the power was enough to sweep buildings off their foundations. It swept r- rail cars from the neighboring railway. 
and threw a truck into the Boston Harbor and caught many unlucky victims in its wake. According to the New England Historical Society, witnesses stated the tank prior to this day would always shudder and groan and even leaked molasses. That's almost as scary an image as a wave of molasses. (laughs) Just a tank groaning at you every single day. And then it leaks molasses. Yeah, and this is extra concerning because it was actually only a few years old. So when I was looking it up, it said that it was built in 1915 when World War One had an increased demand for industrial alcohol. So, I mean, it was only what? Four-ish years 15, old? 16, 17, 18, 19, yeah, four years old. With mathematics. And <laughs> let me choose finger math. <laughs> Uh, witnesses said that the rivets popping out of the tank during the collapse sounded like a machine gun firing. No, thank you. <coughs> no. Uh, so then we have to put in a trigger warning because Art talks about animal deaths and children deaths. So if anyone doesn't want to listen, just skip ahead. So many workers were killed inside the Boston and Worcester freight terminal, trapped by the molasses like animals. Other victims were flung into the air against cars and smothered. In some areas, the molasses was waist deep. The more humans an animal struggled, the more it sucked them in like quicksand. Many horses were reported dead and were compared to flies on sticky paper, which is rude. Yeah. But that just might be because I like horses. And I just picture like a, what are those little sticky paper things that swirl and just have many horses all over them. Not an image I expected to imagine today. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) You also didn't imagine that we were going to be talking about molasses goo. No. (laughs) Going at 35 miles per hour at you. In your quaint little 1919 neighborhood. Very quaint. Were they, like, connected to houses with molasses, I wonder? The horses? Yeah. Like, did you just see a horse stuck on the side of a house? I'm I'm trying to imagine (laughs) the horse. I'm just trying to imagine horses on sticky paper, and sticky paper is... I use for flies sometimes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Just picture you walking down, trying to walk down the street and you just see horses on walls stuck. No, this is a horrible tragedy, but my terrible urge to make terrible things funny so I can deal with it is coming out now, right now. Hey, everyone deals with trauma in their own way. <laughs> just like you're dealing with the trauma of missing over an entire second page. Yeah, I can't believe I did that. I'm uh, I, I knew it, too, as I was doing it, and I was like, no, this must be right. This is what the paper says. <laughs> Obviously. So a small boy named Anthony DeStacio, who was eight years old, was walking home with his sisters when he was picked up by the molasses flood. Anthony said he could hear his mother calling to him, but he could not reply due to the amount of molasses that was clogged in his throat. Ooh. He then passed out and woke up to three of his four sisters standing over him. It is believed that his fourth sister had perished. Victims stated seeing movements within the molasses, not knowing if they were horses or humans, but the movement oh, was wow. the only sign of life that they could see under the molasses. Oh, wow. That, that's actually kind of scary. I wish we had a camera so people could see that. That's <laughs> just what I picture like them trying to break out of the molasses. Like, <laughs> God, that's what you're doing. Is, uh, what you're doing is funny, but that's a scary image too it is I, I would not want to be that person no i would probably just panic and i would just die from like having a heart attack because i panic so much like anthony i probably would have just swallowed the molasses and panic and probably choked on it and then died because yeah. i choked on molasses that i panically swallowed yeah kudos to him um over a hundred cadets from the ship uss nantucket ducked nearby and raced along with the Boston police, U.S. Army soldiers, and the Red Cross to save victims and set up a barrier 
to keep onlookers safe. I mean, I understand why they always have the barrier. If I wasn't involved, I would definitely go look at the scary yeah, moving molasses. Yeah. <laughs> go to it first, for sure. Yeah. I'd be that idiot who then got stuck because they wanted to see it. Exactly, yeah. Like, oh, I wonder if it's still sticky and stick my foot in it and then I'm stuck. Yeah. So rescuers spent four days searching for victims before giving up, which to me when I read that, I was like, what the fuck? Four days? Just four days. It's like, oh, yeah, we put in our due diligence. Here we go. We're done now. I'm just trying to imagine the scale of like how much molasses that there was where you can actually fill four days and looking for people that's true but if you think about it so the pictures that i saw which i should have like printed some out so i could show you so there's pictures of it of especially like when the t with the tank that exploded just having to cut all of that up yeah move it and then clean up the molasses that was on the harbor and then all the houses that got demolished uh, yeah. and stuff and having to go through those but let me pull up some pictures boston yeah you can look through that wow. but yeah so oh, I, wow. I just didn't think that four days was really that long I just think that you should at least give it like a solid week or yeah. something because you have you have to look in the harbor you have to look all in the streets under all the broken houses under the broken like molasses tank itself oh yeah i don't know i just feel like four days was not that long but who am i you are beanie <laughs> so hundreds of people helped try and clean up the city and it was said that even after months of cleaning residents were still finding things sticky. It also stated that Ugh, the harbor yeah. didn't lose its brown tint until the summer. Bodies were washing up in the Boston Harbor in these later months as well, and so the death total went from 17 to 21, with 150 injured to severely injured. It's also said that 12 to 25 horses died that day as well. Ugh, and let me put 12 to 25, because one source said 12, and the other one said 25, and there was a few that had it in between, so yeah. 12 to 25 died. I a significant amount of horses died. Yes. Like they should, local residents filed a lawsuit, 119 lawsuits to be exact, against Purity Distilling Company, or USIA. The lawsuits were merged into one legal proceeding, which lasted five years. Closing arguments alone took 11 weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a long. Yeah. Long. A lot of trials are over in that period. Yeah. Like period. I think it's just because so many people had so many things yeah. to to say and then also said that they used a thousand different witnesses and then also used 1500 different exhibits to show in it so i mean just the scale of it yeah it's, it's a lot the company however tried to claim that the explosion was not on them but actually on anarchists who blew up the tank investigators however said um no i'm pretty sure it's because it was extremely poorly constructed not to mention it was never actually tested for safety. Like mentioned earlier, residents claimed the tank had always leaked molasses. Well, apparently the tank was actually painted brown to try and hide those leaks. Huh. So because of the lawsuit, Purity ended up paying $628,000 in damages, which in today's money would be like $8 million. So a significant amount. Yeah. That's a pretty good amount, which I had to remember that this was a totally different time period because it was like, it included the 7000 that they had to pay to each family of the victims. Yeah. And I was like, $7,000 is nothing. In this day and age, it's like $120,000, which still really yeah. isn't that much if you think about it. But It's in the age of people drinking tea and watering their gardens like yes. we did earlier today. Yes, yeah, exactly. So that's how much they had to end up paying. So flash forward 100 years. New studies believe they found the root of the cause which led to the Boston molasses flood. The cause is believed to be because the steel was too thin and brittle to withstand the pressure of 2.3 million gallons of molasses. 
The steel did not contain enough manganese, which made it more likely to crack. If you think about the no warning comment that they said that the residents made earlier, I feel like the leaks and like the groanings and sounds and stuff were warnings in of themselves. Because if I was near a tank that was groaning and shuddering and leaking molasses, I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. Feel like I would be like, oh, hey, you know, something might happen. Now, I wonder because you said earlier they painted the painted every, yeah, tank brown. I wonder if they actually had complaints about earlier people who are worried about to begin with and they just pushed it under the rug because they purchased a faulty tank to begin with or built one. And then was like, oh, well, we painted it and redid it and it's fine now. Yeah, so there could have been plenty of warning. They just didn't warn everyone else. Yeah, that's true. Ronald Mayville, who is a structural and metallurgical. Metallurgical? (laughs) Yes! How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) I've secretly known this entire story from the beginning. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to say this word. I'm going to mess it up. And then you're just like, bam, here it is. (laughs) Yeah. magazine that it was 50% too thin and engineers should have known this in 1919. According to Harvard University, more victims would have been saved if the flood happened in the summertime. Scientists figured the cold air thickened the goo, making it harder to reach and rescue victims. Fun fact, the Titanic was actually made with this same steel, which is curious. I wonder where else this steel has gone. I know, I wonder if like as we're going through all these different stories and stuff, because there's actually a lot about different floods of not just, not so not many sources ever mentioned the environmental impacts the molasses flood had, which I don't understand when I was reading this because 2.3 million gallons of molasses angrily took over this town and then most of it ended up in the harbor, which had to have had some detrimental effect to it, I would imagine, at least like on the aquatic environment. I thought that was weird, but... According to Pulio, who wrote um, the book, actually I have it written in here, as one of my sources, and it's not there. Anyways, it's called The Dark Knight, um, and I think his name was like Stephen, I'll figure it out by the the end of this. But anyways, he wrote a book all about this and Mm -hmm. like dove in super deep, and he says that at the time in 1919, the ocean was thought of as an infinite trash can able to wash away any amount of pollution, which irks me. Today, we know that that is obviously not the case. And then, this is going to be a stupid joke, but I was like, oh, maybe the molasses is what is holding all the garbage patches together. And I was like, haha, <laughs> to myself. You give me some I mean, laughs. It's I mean, great. it obviously makes sense. Yeah. I was like, haha, that's a great one. <laughs> uh, so, because not much is known about the effect, people have made theories based on the leak in Honolulu Harbor, which, thanks to a faulty underwater pipe leak, 223,000 gallons of molasses leaked into the harbor. This leak created a bacteria feast. As the bacteria fed, grew, and reproduced, sucking the oxygen out of the water, within a day, dead fish were floating at the surface. And according to Greg Stewart, a professor of oceanography at the University of Hawaii, the harbor floor was in even worse shape. He noted that the molasses is soluble, So unlike an oil spill, which is usually at the surface, you couldn't really clean up the molasses because it mixed with the water. So they had to wait for the tides to just disperse the molasses, which I never knew that that happened in Honolulu either. Uh, Do you know around when that happened? The Honolulu one? I mean, I can find out. I was not prepared for that question. (laughs) 
that's what I'm here for, the heart-hitting questions, obviously. Clearly. Well, here, let me just do a quick search. <laughs> it was in September 2013. So in... Oh, Almost a century later, and they still haven't figured out how to contain molasses. Iron or oil. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. I feel like that, that was like, what, 10, 11, no, nine years ago? Nine years ago, yep. Granted, nine years ago, I was still going to college, and I didn't really care much anything other than that. That's true. So. Yeah, I was hopping from, like, house to house, so I... I did not ever watch the news. All right. This spill in Honolulu Harbor took months to recover from, and it was only one-tenth of the size of the Boston flood. Oh, wow. So just imagine the marine life deaths that had happened that were never actually reported on because it just wasn't that important to them back then. Jennifer Bowen, a professor of marine science at Northeastern University, says that bacteria would have consumed the molasses more slowly since at that time it was cooler weather in Boston, going back to the Boston one. 40 degrees. And that residents did say the molasses was in the water until summer. So it's definitely possible, but again, nothing was actually reported on, so they'll never actually know. And then another environmental impact that is questioned now is the eelgrass, which the Boston Harbor had a substantial amount of meadows of. And they said that if the molasses did cause thickening of the water or tinted it enough to where sunlight couldn't penetrate, that the eelgrass would have died off. And then what? Was that the cat is face. tickling oh. me? I'm sorry. <laughs> what was that face for? I was trying to not actually say anything, and you looked up and <laughs> drew I was like, yes. attention. Yeah. I just saw your eyes closed with your mouth closed, and you like going up to the ceiling. I was trying not to laugh. <laughs> Anyways, even if there was an effect of this molasses on the eelgrass, uh, it ended up dying off anyways in the 1930s uh, due to wasting disease. So. Ugh. Yeah. It really wouldn't have mattered, but it is also wondered how the thickness or the coating of marine mammals would have been affected and how it would have affected their swimming abilities. With it being over a hundred years later, we will probably never know, especially since there is no information on the environmental impacts anywhere. The tank was never rebuilt and today is a city owned recreational complex named Langone Park. I might have said that wrong, but you know. A softball diamond is now where the tank once stood. And fun fact, uh, January 15th, 2019 was the 100th anniversary of the event. A ground-penetrating radar was used to identify the exact location of the tank from 1919 since the concrete slab base remains 20 inches below the surface. Oh, wow. I would actually want to go see that. I mean, it would just be like a baseball diamond, but... Yeah, but... We don't know that there is a former molasses tank there. Yes. And if you dug down just 20 inches, you could see concrete. Like 1919 concrete, not just concrete. Yeah. I mean, we could do that, but we only get one chance to do it because I assume after that, they won't let us back into the park again. (laughs) So at this anniversary, Tendi stood in a circle marking the edge of the tank, and the 21 names of the victims were read aloud, which this was probably really beautiful. Probably, yeah. I saw pictures of it, which I'll post in like the thing on here so people can actually see it. It just looked really nice. But yeah, it's water floods, but just a weird floods. A l- weird have, liquid. Yeah, yeah, that have happened. And I'm curious to see if they all end up having the same type of steel. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued to see that. That is the story behind the Boston Molasses Flood of 1919. So we're going to go ahead and read the victims. Which I will also probably butcher the name. Just make sure. 
just make sure you read them out of order just for old time's sake. I know. All right. So the first victim is George LaHaye. He was a 30-year-old Boston firefighter who perished after the explosion when debris buried him as the Engine 31 firehouse collapsed. And he had like a huge memoir on him when I was like researching all of this. Oh, like, did he? I'm assuming it's because he was a Boston firefighter. Yeah. And that's why. But yeah, he had like the most coverage over every other victim. The next victim is Pascal Ian Tuska, who was a 10-year-old boy who was collecting firewood near the tank on lunch break from school. And then what's even sadder about him is that the boy's father was watching him from his house. And so uh, he saw the moment that he his son like disappeared under the molasses. Uh, and his father like ran out and he said yeah. that he was like looking for him for hours. And then they actually didn't even find his son's body until like mid-January. Oh, wow. So it was like days and days before they even found Yeah. Him. And he literally like watched it happen and ran out right afterwards and they still oh. took that long to Yeah. Find. Which is why they should have given more than four days for looking for victims. Yeah. So the next victim is Flaminio Gallerini, who was a 37-year-old male driver. He wasn't found until 11 days after the flood. The next victim is Cesar Nicolo. He was a 32-year-old male who worked as a wagon driver. He wasn't found for four months after the event. Sorry, I put wasn't ground for four months. I was like, what the heck does that even mean? (laughs) Wasn't found for four months after the event. And he was one of the ones that they found floating in the harbor afterwards. Oh, wow. The next victim is Patrick Green, which was a 44-year-old male who worked as a laborer and left behind a wife. The next victim is William Brogan, who was a 61-year-old resident, worked as a teamster, which I had no idea what that was, so I looked it up, and it was someone who drove a team of horses transporting goods. Hmm. The next victim is Bridget Clowardy, a 65-year-old female who was crushed by a collapsed building, left behind a daughter and two sons. And then tell me what you think of this next victim, because I have mixed emotions on it. So the next one is Stephen Clowardy, which is her son. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't actually killed by this flood, though. So he died later in an insane asylum. And his family that was left behind argued it was due to the trauma he sustained in the flood that killed his mother. Um, They weren't awarded any damages for his death, but he's still, like, listed as a victim of the flood, which if it if it didn't if he didn't actually yeah. die in the flood i don't feel like he can be or should be yeah. named as a victim like his mom yes absolutely because she died during it at least not a death victim yeah like i think it, he could obviously still be mentioned but i don't think he should be listed as like one of the 21 that died during the flood because yeah he didn't he died later and his family just says it's due to the trauma he sustained because of his mom dying in the flood i don't know secondhand death his death happened around the time within the next century of the flood happening yes anyways i was like "Mm." the next victim is john callahan who was a 43 year old who worked as a paver at the north end paving yard maria maria distacio is a 10 year old female who if you recall that last name was anthony's fourth sister who they thought That's right. Did actually perish. She died also gathering wood at the base of the tank buried beneath a pile of molasses barrels. And then I didn't write it, but I actually read later on that Anthony made a statement after the flood happened and things Mm -hmm. were like kind of okay and they were doing interviews and stuff that all of his, his four sisters and him were all together and he saw her go back to the tank like to pick up firewood and stuff yeah and 
he said that he thought about going with her and then decided against it and started walking with his other sisters away from the tank and that's when the explosion happened and i mean in hindsight he would have died if he followed but it's also really sad that he like watched her walk yeah i don't know i would feel i don't know yeah i would have mixed feelings about that i feel like i would go through that phase where you're like oh it's my fault i should have like turned her around and had her go with us or something like something that everyone does that sucks yeah she was 10 years old uh the next victim is william duffy who was a 50 year old male who worked as a laborer in north end paving yard left behind a wife and a 19 year old daughter the next victim is peter francis a 64 year old male who was a blacksmith working at the north end paving yard he died at a relief hospital after the event he left behind a wife four daughters and five sons well he and his wife were busy yes that's not even like the most oh no as i was reading these i was like holy shit these people got down and dirty but again it's 1919 they we clearly went over we have no idea what they did now we know (laughs) (laughs) so the next victim is james h Keneally. he was a laborer at the north end paving yard was married to his wife for 30 years at his time of death and had nine children eric laird is our next victim he was a 17 year old male who was delivering freight at the time of the explosion, his body was found under the coated mass of wrecked auto trucks, express boxes, and packages in the freight shed. So he was just under, like, literally everything. Everything you could think of. (laughs) And then James Lennon is our next victim, who was a 64-year-old foreman with the paving department. He was killed when the building he was having lunch in collapsed. He left behind four daughters and four sons. Like, what a shitty way to end your lunch. Like, yeah. Get killed while you're eating your sandwich. By molasses. Of By all molasses, yeah. <laughs> By molasses of all things. Ralph Martin is our next victim. He was a 21 year old male who served in the Navy for a year before he started being a driver, which he was a driver for the Blackstone Supply Company when he died. Michael Sinnott is our next victim. 76-year-old male who was working as a messenger for the public works department. He had returned to work 20 minutes before the explosion and was thrown several feet against a pile of paving stones and suffered a fractured skull, two broken legs, contusions, and internal injuries. So, like, he didn't even die of the molasses. He died of just, like, breaking everything in his freaking body and just, like, sat there until he died. He probably had the worst death of anything. Like, jeez. He should have just not gone back to work. Uh, 20 minutes that's something i know that sucks so close to living so close james mcmullen is our next victim he was a 46 year old male who was working as a foreman for the bay state express when he died thomas noonan um was a 43 year old longshoreman who served in the british army for 10 years he and his son were returning home from south boston they were caught in the flood of molasses and wreckage he later died at the hospital and his son was treated for his injuries he left behind a wife four other sons and three daughters i think that would suck too going through it with your dad and then you being the one that survived oh yeah i'm glad i would survive but yeah just like the uh, earlier the kid who saw his sister go yeah towards that similar feeling all right peter don't mess with his last name shaughnessy we're just gonna say that shaughnessy it yeah it's s-h-a-u-g-h-n-e-s-s-y sounds english shaughnessy I don't know wh- why this took a turn that way. Oh, I know why it took a turn that way, but how did Mr. Shaughnessy... You're like, yes. shut up and just tell me how he died. 
<laughs> he was an 18-year-old teamster who was claimed to still be missing two days after the event. But his horse was um, found covered in molasses, obviously dead, on January 16th. And Peter's body was not ever reported found. So they found yeah. his horse and not yeah. him. The, and also, uh, the day of the explosion was his first day on the job, which <laughs> extra suck. Yeah. I kind of wish they would have said what his horse's name was because I was very curious and I looked it up. I like looked everywhere. And I was like, I even not know his horse's name. I felt like his horse deserved to be mentioned. <laughs> Our last victim is John Cyberlick, maybe. Um, he was a 69-year-old blacksmith who worked in the North End Paving Yard. He died of his injuries almost a year to the day of when his wife had passed. Wow. I mean, at least they're together now, but how crazy is it that a year after his wife dies, he dies on the same day. God, that's if anything, I'd be like, that's the universe trying to put them together. Only the universe took down twenty other people <laughs> with, like to be with him. We have solved the crime. Yes, that is. <laughs> everyone can thank John Cyberlick in the universe for wanting to reunite with his wife. So yeah, here are the real sources. Uh, little that we know that this show was really about solving the crime of how <laughs> these things happen. Well, we done did it, and now it's what we're doing. Woo. So the sources uh, for this information was Dark, Dark Tide, The Great Boston Molasses Club, 1919, by Stephen Pulio. So that's the book I was telling you about that yeah. I had a brain fart and could not let me find the source because, you know, I had two different stories all mixed together and it was terrible. So anyways, uh, the next one is NewEnglandHistoricalSociety.com, Wikipedia.com, EDP.org, Britannica.com. AMP.WBUR.org, Boston.com, History.com, and BostonGlobe.com. And there we have it. That is the story of Boston's Great Molasses Flood, 1919. It's also called the Boston Molasses Disaster. I mean, that certainly would count as a a disaster. And I'm very impressed you did not butcher as many of those names as I thought. Uh, Well, we don't know if I butchered them. Where we just have our eyes going swing, swinging around a bunch of I know. Life. It's like, yep, that's right. Yep, that's got to be right. No one's saying it's not. So, I mean, I highly doubt any of the families will actually listen to this. I mean, if there's anyone out there that will ever listen to this in the future, um, I will write the victims' names down in the comments, and uh, you can just tell me how to properly pronounce it, I guess. So, yeah. Do you have any final comments on this story before we end? God, I'm just thinking that happened. I wonder there's that other molasses tragedy that happened in hawaii in 2013 i wonder how many more have happened have happened yeah just involving molasses of all things i know we should have like a molasses section a monthly molasses podcast yes yes (laughs) monthly molasses (laughs) yes i love it and i'm riding monthly molasses mondays moments mondays i was like i love it it's happening Good. Yeah, I don't think this thing likes. All right, thank you for listening. Bye. Hasta la pasta.